And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Crank up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. A massive night for the Champions League ball. Who are well within their rights to shoot and from where? The Premier League net noise of the week. What is and is not a famous old ground? Harry Kane leads from the front in the big doors versus wheels debate. Vout Veghorst's actual scrapbook. Are the semi-finals too late to be in the hat? Tom Brady is spotted by literally everybody at Old Trafford. Football's enduring obsession with the South Coast. Jesse Marsh's clobber and a lovely steak dinner with Richard Keyes. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 144 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me first of all is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Good, how are you? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Um, a little teaser for you for what's going to come at the end of this podcast. That worries me. When Reedy's concerned, I am. Mm. I am. <laughs> all you need to know so far. <laughs> That's actually you. something... That I hadn't noticed the first time I heard that as Keyes going, mm, after he says that reading a very known, mm, Yeah, it's, basically, it's whenever someone, one of them declares something, they have to sort of triple confirm it between them. Yeah, that's one of the little patterns I've noticed. But um, alongside you for this one is David Walker. Bumper adjudication panel today, Dave. But I want to hit you with this one. Nice well-worn territory for us. This is from Chris Monk, who's noted an interesting variation on the For My Sins trope in this episode of Homes Under the Hammer. Have you invested in this area a lot? Not in this area a lot. We've got odd hodgepodges around the place, from the southwest to the southeast to Derbyshire. But um, I have the sin of being a supporter of the local football team. So oh, well done. Um, it's my excellent locality. So that's the other reason we've sort of come back and pondered around here. That's weird, isn't it? I have the sin. <laughs> I have the sin of they should the production team should have been on that can you just do that bit again (laughs) just say who you support and say for my sins slight tweet (laughs) it's like someone's run the original cliche through google translate and then back again (laughs) very literal yeah yeah I, I have the sin. Derby County with the team in question, Charlie. Uh, a sinnable club, I suppose they are. They're yeah. right at the epicentre of this, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. Yes, but certainly at the moment for my sins, given given all that's going on. I mean, ideally, would you like them to be a little more suffering? Perhaps. But uh, I, I think that they're, they're in that, uh, that zone. Well, that was the mere hors d'oeuvre for the adjudication panel. Uh, the main course will come much, much later, actually. First up, we're going to go all the way back to last week, Dave. This is from Dom Kippen. He says, I'm sure you watched last week's Champions League match between Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain, but if you didn't catch the opening, 
Here it is. So here come the players. There's the ball. It's a massive night for both of them. <laughs> a very big night for the ball. <laughs> All eyes on it. Yeah, um, well, it's, I'm, you know, I think we've taken a few liberties here, Charlie, <laughs> but um, I still enjoyed it nonetheless. I mean, why shouldn't we give the ball the respect it deserves? It's on a plinth, after all. There's the ball. Yeah, very much a sort of say what you see. Elsewhere last week, one of my favourite recent examples of person spotted in the crowd during a live TV game, but this had all the ingredients because it included Ali McCoist on co-commentary. There's a great lead centre-forward in the crowd, by the way, Ali. Yep. Mark Fiducas here today. Absolutely. Terrific player. Terrific oh. player. What a player. Do you remember the game, Ali, when Leeds beat Liverpool 4-3 yes, here and he scored the lot? Stephen Gerrard, very young Stephen Gerrard, came on as a substitute in that game. Yep. Oh, he's an excellent centre forward. Won't surprise you to hear a prefer. There he is. There he is, with David O'Leary alongside. Yep. I much preferred Mark's uh, walk down at Leeds than I did at Celtic, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> Probably the greatest centre-forward his country has ever produced, yep. I would say. I think that's very fair. <laughs> why is it so long? <laughs> yeah, why is it? Ages. It's a very long, drawn-out what a player he was, There's by the way. so many layers to that. Well, the first of which, Charlie, is I was waiting for someone to come out with the water play, and it turns out it was the commentator, not Ali, which was which was the first twist for me. I actually saw that in real time, and I did mm. really enjoy it, especially because I think that Ali, Ali McCoy had been going on before about how um, Leeds were lacking a, a centre forward, an orthodox. So there was it, it was kind of perfectly teed up. I think the re- I think part of the reason it goes on so long is that McCoy doesn't fully commit. To sort of what a player he was. I think he, it's because the because Viduka doesn't appear on the screen for them takes until midway through. So I should say as well, often when they cut to these players, it will be a kind of like looks like he could still do a job. Viduka did not. He he did not look like he could still do a job. <laughs> that, that that's maybe a little unkind, but you can sort of imagine how Mark Viduka would have gone. Uh, yeah, time and, and he was pretty big, exactly. sort of heavy set man mm. when he was playing, wasn't he? Really, mm. I really enjoyed the. Um, I think this happened at least four occasions in that clip where McCoy sort of, in his McCoysty kind of way, aggressively agreeing that he remembered the game in question. Yep, <laughs> and, oh, absolutely. And the yep. detail about Gerard coming on. <laughs> yeah, yep. remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Yeah, I mean, come on. We all remember Viduka's good four. We don't remember that a young Gerard came on in that. Game. And of course, there's no one better in the game, Dave. At at sort of smoothing over the end of the conversation with a with a just a conclusion of yeah I think we can all agree on that one <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. it did feel like Ali was yeah very politely trying to go yeah okay yeah we get it yeah yeah it was the sponsored <laughs> Mark Viduka segment was uh, <laughs> just going on a little bit too long good um, to but- settle the age old debate of the best striker that Australia ever produced <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, Scott McDonald that argument has raged right for years good to put yeah. it to bed uh, that won't be the last we hear of famous people in stands on this episode however but moving on elsewhere at Elland Road that night Damien Cullivan alerts us 52 minutes in Joe Gelhart tries a long range shot he's a few yards outside the box fairly central on Amazon's coverage Ali McCoyce confirms that he's well within his rights to take that on I agree, he was. But what is the criteria for a player being well within his rights? 
Is it solely his position on the field or does the positioning of teammates come into it? Or is it a medley of all of this? Is it based on an area of pitch? What distance? What angle? What player is not within his rights to take it on? Cheers, Damien, Isle of Man. Thanks, Damien. Who wants to go first on this? Really good question. And there's a lot, there, there is a lot to unpack here. I have quite a clear vision in my mind as to when this is said. And what I'm thinking, so I think there has to be, often as well, if it's a striker, we want them to take shots on. It's a good thing if they take shots on. So I think they're particularly within their rights. What I'm imagining is those instances where a striker's striding forward, a pathway is kind of clearing for him to shoot because he's got runners possibly either side of him, certainly one. The defenders are being dragged away because those players are in better positions, but those defenders are blocking the pass. So yes, they might be in better positions, but they're sort of marked. Or even one might not be. But that's almost opened the space up for the striker. I think distance-wise, it can't be a crazy distance. I think you're approaching the edge of the box. It can't be in the box, though. No. 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 Well, the point is good. it has good. to be far enough away that it's worth saying. Because clearly, if you're six yards out, you don't need to say it's, he's, what, he's within his rights. Because it's just, well, clearly he's within his rights. I think it has to be around 20 yards out for it to be worthy of comment that hold on you're probably thinking he should have passed that but actually no he's within his rights yeah i've got no arguments with the distance here dave but the context is important i I quite like this kind of red sea parting situation that charlie was talking about yeah when 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 the opportunity becomes so obvious that the crowd are in on it saying go on Mm. yeah go for it yeah it's opened up for him and yeah and he's well within his rights Mm. to take the shot on there i think it's different from yeah why not yeah you know? Oh, yeah. Why not further out, I would yeah. say. Yeah. A bit more of a pot shot. And probably from like a centre-half or maybe yeah. midfielder. But yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're right, Charlie, in saying that well within his rights is more applicable to attacking players, strikers or forwards because there would be that element of question over, like the Vincent Company, mm. famous Vincent Company strike for City against Leicester probably wasn't within his rights to do that, even though obviously it went in top corner. But there was scepticism, even though Pep after the game was saying, don't shoot, don't shoot. Mm, mm. Whereas if it's Harry Kane, and it's sort of like, you know, I think Kane's the one that I, I, I sort of think of most vividly with this, is because he's the sort of player that will shoot from distances and angles that other players, you just be like, what are you doing? Mm, yeah. But with him, you think he's got a chance of, of getting it in the bottom corner or something. Well, Kane might tip it into well within his rights. Oh, Not yeah. just within his rights when it when it's someone of Kane's ability. I, d- I do also think there's a little bit of outcome bias because I think uh, an outcome that really lends itself to he's within his rights is a low, well-struck shot, but that the keeper is kind of down the keeper's throat. Okay. So it's not a total waste of it. Hmm. But it's also not, a, it's not, he hasn't scored or anything, but he's, you know, he's worked the keeper. Okay. It's a kind of it. It makes it seem more sensible, and therefore that the player is more within his right. Interesting. I never thought about the outcome, uh, and actually, Dave, until you mentioned it now, I haven't really thought about a kind of a reputational aspect to it as well. And I think you're right. I think when defenders and defensive midfielders kind of take their kind of speculative efforts, that is outside the jurisdiction of the rights. I think we've nailed this. Thank you, Damien Cullivan. Your suspicions were correct, Charlie. Just one last thing on it. I do think the uh, the kind of that parting of the Red Sea bit is important because yeah. I think they, they have to have almost earned it. Mm. So that's partly why they're within their rights because, well, 
they have driven forward quite effectively with the ball and I think in so doing they've sort of got a bit of a license to have it I think if it if it was just yeah, they received a pass and then you just smash it you're like mm. Mm, well surely keep the move going yeah. it's the fact that you've um, you've created it a little bit for yourself yeah, a bit of backing yeah. off helps and mm, I, I definitely. think I think the presence of an available teammate is important too be- can be because that's sort of the uh, that's kind of the question it's like well he yeah. probably could have passed to to son but actually he was well within his rights to take that on there yeah i think there needs to be one because yeah. otherwise it's just it would be a question would it yeah exactly yeah. he's got no other option no yes yeah, it's, it's it's far more textured and nuanced than we thought but um perhaps one player who blurs this dilemma is callum chambers who may or may not have been well within his rights to take that shot against Leeds last week, but that's irrelevant because it produced the Premier League net noise of the week. In goes the uh, Lucatine free kick, Tyrone Mings, and that's brilliant. Callum Chambers, of all people. If we compare this, Charlie, to to the non-league goal net noise of the week last week, we, we... we waxed lyrical about how the netting took all of the sound and there was no metallic shudder mm. elsewhere. It wasn't a loose sound. It was very, very nicely poised. This one did have a bit of metallic ending to it and a lovely giving side netting as well. Um, I think it all adds up to a wonderful Premier League net noise for me. This is lovely, yeah. To the point, can we hear it again really quickly? Tyrone Mings, and that's brilliant. Callum Chambers, of all people got two levels to it as well because because you you there's firstly a noise that hits the side netting and then mm. it almost seem it seamlessly moves to the back of the net and both of those noises are extremely satisfying it's lovely really nice yeah there's um you know from an audio levels perspective dave it's a it's a lovely piece of audio it's very nice i try to isolate it actually but unfortunately the commentator is just annoying just, isn't it just crashes it a little bit yeah it is there's a crunchiness to it mm. which which i like whereas last week i'm trying to think of the word i'd used to describe last week there was there was there was more of a sort of softness to last week's uh whereas because it was the ball was sort of stroking along the net yeah this, yeah this, you're right this, this week there's like two distinct noises like a crunchy as you, yeah metallic but Satisfyingly so. Sometimes, sometimes when you hear the little clink, yeah, of a the clink of is a, important, it, but it wasn't too high pitched. There's mm. some meaty, meatiness to it, which I like. Yeah, last week was, and I think this one was. Let's hear it again. <laughs> Tyrone Mings, and that's brilliant. Callum Chambers of all people. Maybe it's more hotiku, <laughs> It's harder actually that one to capture with yeah. a. The ne- to the naked voice. <laughs> the naked voice. <laughs> <laughs> what a phrase that is, by the way. Uh, but yeah, lovely net noise. Well done, Callum Chambers. Uh, next up, uh, listener and knocker on the door of the cliches manager, Nick Miller, poses this question, Dave. Just seen the city ground described as a famous old ground. I think it qualifies, but potentially want to investigate the parameters of. He's right. We do need to investigate them. It's a weird one for me, Dave, because, I mean... They're a very old club, but I can't get around the idea of Nottingham Forest existing before the 1970s. They just—they they don't seem to me as a bit of a kind of 50s-y club. I don't know why. Yeah. Because they presumably didn't do much. If this isn't a famous old ground, in your opinion, what is? Goodison. Goodison's a famous old ground. I mean, I almost think it's at the point now where there have been so many new grounds built over the last 20 or so years that if your ground hasn't been, 
it's probably going to certainly be in the conversation to <laughs> yes. be a famous old ground. I mean, unless there's a triggers broom situation where it's it's been transformed so many times over the years that every stand has been replaced. <laughs> is it yeah. really the same ground as it was before? Could you still call it a famous old ground? I don't know. I mean, Molyneux is a famous old ground. Stanford but even Anfield, Anfield's one. had a lot of work done. Mm, yeah, it's exactly. Still, still a, a famous old ground, done. I think. Get some work done. <laughs> but it, I don't think it is. I mean, Anfield, Anfield is obviously probably the most famous of all Highbury the grounds. Highbury was a famous old ground. Yeah, but it, it, there's the old bit about Anfield. Like, I think it, I think the, if, if there has been sufficient modernisation, then it's just, it's you know, it's... It's just a famous ground. It's just a famous ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or iconic, maybe. We've touched on um, how long it's been around, what's happened to it, but... Charlie, maybe there's an added factor. Does something notable need to have happened there repeatedly, perhaps? Does it need to have had famous nights, for example, to become a famous old ground? Does something need to have happened there that people will all remember? Quite possibly, actually, yeah. Because would you have described like Ayrson Park, Middlesbrough's ground, before they moved to the Riverside as a famous old ground? I'm not sure you would, because I don't think there are enough iconic nights that I mean, are synonymous sense, with, yeah. with that famous old ground. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think I mean, that, probably, that probably is the... The famous part of it. I so think City Ground's actually quite a good example. I think a couple of it needs to have a couple of things to even qualify. I think there has to be a a a, a significant proportion of the ground has to be made of wood. So there's got to be true. like you know like pole pillars in the way, obstructed seats, flat wooden seats or something. An analog clock. Yeah, yeah, or like you know <laughs> some sort of weird sort of curiosity, like Craven Cottage with a thing in the corner. Or you know, there's a cottage with the in the grass corner. verge. Yeah, yeah, Hillsborough with like the clock on the and the and, and the sign on the top of the stand on the side of the pitch. Proximity to houses, I think, yeah. helps. Mm. Yeah. Um, Maybe n- a part of the stadium has a really unorthodox name like the you know, the chicken run or something like that. You know, it has a quirky yeah. little name. Would would Craven Cottage count? I 100%. think so, yeah. yeah definitely. Totally. Right up there. Yeah. Even yeah. though they are again, they're modernized you know, they're they're putting in new stands and stuff, aren't they? But But think- would it not be lovely old ground? <laughs> This yeah, old, well, this famous yeah. old ground on the banks of the Thames. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't it that, oh, yeah maybe it's too quaint. Too, city, too city ground, cute. city ground on the banks of the uh, of the Trent, of course. Trent. Yeah. So I think pro- proximity helps. to a river does help. Yeah, rivers just as good as houses for me. I mean, Charlie, of course, it was a Euro '96 venue, which I think adds it a certain amount of kudos. It didn't host particularly high-profile games, but it was still there. And of course, it was the venue. For two of the three opening lines to three lions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, in its walls. I think if you're a 1966 host as well, that that really so that which is Hillsborough good, that, must have been, and good, also Goodison Hillsborough, Park was, I think. And in fact, I think Ayrson Park, Ayrson Park, Park was, was, was North, North Korea. Park, where, North Korea, yeah. exactly. There you are. Famous. Old There's man. a famous memory for all the Ayrson Park haters. Let's not do this any any longer. But I, I, I'm happy to admit City Ground just about. I can't think of any major reason to disqualify it, and I think Forest fans would get oddly angry if we didn't. So I, th- I think it counts. Yeah. I think it's quite good. Does sort of capacity or size make any difference? Because I could I could see there being an FA Cup third round game on the TV and. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking. I don't. I don't even think this stadium exists anymore. But like Hereford playing at Edgar Street, <laughs> or like you know, or Luton, you know, Kenilworth Road, like yeah, a small ground. But like I can still see. Like I can imagine Guy Mowbray going and this 
famous old ground. But once you internalise it, once you just sort of direct it towards the supporters of that club, then anything's possible. But I think in, in a globe, not in a global sense, but in a UK-wide, every football fan sense, I don't think you could classify those as famous old grounds. I'm sorry, but... In this charming old ground. Yeah, yeah I, I, I... there's lots of more patronising ways of describing it, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. But yeah, City Ground just about edges in, but we need we do need to set the bar relatively high here. Similarly, for this, Charlie, um, we're bombarded on a daily, weekly basis with social media content from the Premier League and their clubs. A lot of it fairly vacuous, you know, lots of players, all smiles at training, etc., etc. But I thought this was a genuinely great piece of behind-the-scenes content. I could never have imagined a Premier League dressing room discussing something like this. I couldn't have even guessed what they would talk about anyway. And it's one of the most relatable pieces of Premier League footage I've ever seen. This is Harry Kane and teammates discussing the perennial doors versus wheels debate. Is there more doors in the world or wheels? There's doors about... There's not a debate there's doors. I think there's doors. But there's a lot of wheels in the world. No, I think every house... Front door, back door, cupboard door, bathroom door. All right, in this room now, what is it more? One door, two doors, three doors, two toilet doors, four, five, six, seven, eight. Is there any wheels in here? Every house. Every house is about what? 20 doors? Yeah, like 30 doors. Or like a lorry. Lorry's got like 18 wheels. Yeah, but there's more doors. Yeah, there's more houses than lorries in the world. What's the solution? <laughs> there's more houses than lorries in the world, is the real icing on the cake. <laughs> this is great. And what I really like about it is they, as three people who are no stranger to talking really earnestly about what aren't probably the most important things in the world, I can really uh, get on board with this, with how seriously they're taking the discussion. And Kane does raise some good points. The, like, the, the cupboards was not something I'd really thought about. I like the fact that Kane's taking kind of captain's role in this procedure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very much the dressing room leader still, even in this this ridiculous scenario. It's one of those things that, like, I've se- obviously, you know, we've all seen this kind of become a, a topic of of uh, frivolous debate over the last week. And it's sort, you know, I sort of go, but then you just can't help but actually get sucked into it, and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, because you know, you sort of pick one, and whichever one you sort of go with initially, you sort of talk yourself out of of believing it. Because initially I was like, it's got to be, it's obviously doors, isn't it? But then you sort of, you know, you look at all the wheels. I would encourage people to check out another example, another example of this, which is really, I, I really enjoyed, was Bristol City, who are famed for their good social media content, actually. Mm. Um, there, so I think they've got a youth player, he's called Riley Towler, and okay. he, he has got the thickest Bristolian accent you, to, to the point where it's almost like you could I thought this was like some sort of BBC three sitcom or something <laughs> it was ludicrous and oh, right. it's just him on a bench in the gym just talking to himself basically for three minutes and it's it's, <laughs> it's really really good I will look it up um, I think that the next stage of this Charlie is Keys and Gray discussing it in about three weeks time <laughs> Andy a lot of people are saying there are more wheels in the world do you see that no I wonder what they would go for. There'd what about be some... the hotels, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> Look around you. <laughs> How many doors up in the Burj Khalifa? <laughs> oh, dear. Next up, um, love, love, love any situation, Dave, where a figurative football cliche becomes flesh. And this is from, uh, this is from the mail this morning. When new Burnley striker Vout Veghorst said that his childhood dream was to play in the Premier League following his move, the more cynical observers may have rolled their eyes. 
However, it would appear that the Dutchman was not just trying to score a few points. Following Burnley's 3-0 win at Brighton last month when he scored his first goal for the club, the target man's representatives contacted a number of newspapers to request clippings of match reports to go into the 29-year-old's scrapbook. He's got a scrapbook! Excellent. Have we seen this? Has he posted nope. it on social media yet? No, can't wait to see it. But yeah, next time I hear that's one for his scrapbook. Is that is that applicable to strikers? Just to be clear, one for the scrapbook. For the I mean, it's, it's, not easy, one... it's not just for goalkeepers making spectacular saves. It's one for no, the scrapbook is okay, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's the primary Good. use. The goalkeepers, and you don't hear it too often anymore, do you? No, as scrapbooks have become more and more infrequent. Yeah. One for his Instagram stories isn't isn't mm. quite as good, is it? Uh, but yeah, heartwarming, Dave, to know that a Premier League striker has a scrapbook at the age of 29. I feel like they put 29-year-old in there to kind of embarrass him a bit. Yeah, he doesn't mm. seem the type. To, it's a 29-year-old father yeah. of three. It's too tall to have a scrapbook. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who is the sort of type that would have a scrapbook. I don't know. Dwight McNeil, I suppose, in the Burnley squad feels Stupid. more scrapbooky to me. Yeah, it, yeah. there's it's a, it's a conflagration of situations here, Charlie. You need to be good enough to have things that could go in a scrapbook, but also be of a certain type of person who would want to collate a scrapbook. Maybe a sort yeah. of student of the game. I was going to say, there's an, er- there's an earnestness there, isn't there? You do, you do need to take... I mean, Connor Cody, I can sort of imagine him being grounded enough this is perfect absolutely he, perfect he does yeah. you know he's so humble that he still keeps clippings from good performances mm. and i imagine there's a lot of our listeners out there screaming at their podcast devices saying well what about x y and z no do you know what parents scrapbooks don't count you know if their dad's keeping a scrapbook of all their clippings that will eventually be you know aired on a documentary one day not interesting oh yeah no, about players different. keeping their own scrapbooks to live up to the cliche. Um, but yeah, well done, Val Veghorst. Rembrandt Q. Einstein writes in and says, any thoughts on the potential of Western philosophy providing a new referential frame for football commentary after Wolves' in-house commentator invoked René Descartes to describe Ruben Neves's chip last Thursday? Let's hear that, please. Our pose, Chiquinho will head it back. Neves, time to take a touch and a second and then a little dig. Oh, it's a genius. That's incredible. Ruben Neves. He thinks, therefore, he plays, and he plays the game in a majestical fashion. But wasn't this the title of Pirlo's autobiography or some variant on that? So I think there is a precedent for this. So you this. think there's a secondary reference going on here? Well, I don't know if he'll definitely, if that's what he's, um, if it's a knowing reference, but I wonder if he has um, come across that. Okay. He dinks, therefore he plays, would have been more applicable Ooh. in this situation. <laughs> Very, was it a dink? No, Are you happy probably with that? not. I'm no. stretching it a little yeah, bit. Backtracking. <laughs> no, the horror the in your eyes. The purposes of that, I think that's, uh, that was good. As if that wasn't highbrow enough for you, Charlie, uh, this was the Sky co-commentator David Phillips' reaction. Well, that is a sumptuous goal, you have to say, from Ruben Neves. Never heard that before in my life. Never heard that <laughs> before in my life. Is, is he meaning one that shows you have a cultured? Yeah. I mean, we, obviously, we think of cultured left foot. So I guess if anyone was to have a cultured right foot, it would be Nevers. Is, mm. is that what he means? It, it's just he just miss you. It, you know, he won't score a more cultured goal than that. Would be fine. But more cultural. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly gives it a whole new. Yeah. One that's well. I mean, I guess it is cultural with you know references to classical. Yeah. 
the classical world. The word cultured is, is, is quite an odd one, though, Dave, because we hear about cultured right feet a lot, which implies, you know, they're a bit of an artist and, you know, they'll um, produce magic or something. But, but you hear about cultured centre-half as well, which to me means sort of rugged and, and aggressive and old school. Does it? So, yeah, does I it? don't think that. No, I think it means that it's a, you're a, a ball-playing centre-half, does it not? Yeah, sure. I think agricultural would do what you're... <laughs> agricultural. Yeah, yeah. ...would serve that purpose. <laughs> I, I, I have not got those two things confused. I want to place that on record. I may have got the first thing wrong, but I haven't got them confused. I just know, I just always thought that when I grew up hearing it, I thought that's what it meant, like proper sort of old school, real centre-half before ball-playing centre-halves were a thing. Living a lie, clearly, and uh, won't be describing myself as that anymore. Right, um, <laughs> next up, I this is one of my favourite things we've had in a low-key way. For quite a while, this is from Darren Cullum. Uh, this is after Rangers beat Dundee in the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup this weekend, Charlie. Aaron Ramsey tweeted, in the hat for the semis. Darren Cullum says, surely you can't be in the hat for the semis. Last 16 is the last time you can use hat. I think he's right. You can't be in the hat for a semi-final. There's only four teams. Yeah, quarters, I think, at a push, you can just about be. Four, no, it's not. it's not... It's not random enough. You're in the draw, you could say. Mm. Hat's one step too but, far. Okay, so this is instinctively our response, Dave. But what's why technically is mm. being in the hat wrong for the semi-finals? Is it because the hat implies some sort of random fate that you might have to encounter? Or as semi-finals, you're pretty confident who you're going to get. Well, I'm on board with with the reaction here <laughs> because I, I instinctively I would I would agree. But actually, there is still the random element. The four teams, there might be a team that everyone's desperate to get in the semi final draw and got a one in four chance of of getting them. And you, if you're if you were doing the draw out of a hat in every round, balls still go into the bag for the semi final, don't they? I mean, we we're discussing this on a philosophical level. We're discussing this on a linguistic level. But let's think about the aesthetic level. If you, if you think of any cup draw you've ever witnessed, it might just be a Champions League group stage draw, one of those kind of ridiculously complicated situations. Pretty much any situation where someone has to twirl around two balls in a bowl or a hat or whatever, is massively unsatisfying from a cup draw consumer perspective. And I think this is where the spirit of not being in the hat for a semi-final comes from. Nobody likes to see two balls being <laughs> twirled around because you know that's basically going to achieve nothing. And then, they, you know, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So um, Darren Callum, last 16, maybe a bit harsh. Let's go for quarters all round. I think we're happy there. In the hat with seven other teams in the quarterfinals. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, next up. 
perhaps the peak of the genre that is famous people in the stands at Premier League games. This was Tom Brady at Old Trafford. Let's let's hear what Sky had to say first of all. Well, we've seen some greatness on the pitch, witnessed by another sporting icon, NFL legend Tom Brady, only recently retired and a sporting idol as well of Harry Kane, I believe. Yeah, uh, Charlie, a fairly standard. You got the sense that Hawthorne wasn't a big NFL mm-hmm. guy. <laughs> very very so, much going uh, through the motions. It, keeping uh, it simple. Uh, the sporting icon, so I'm told. I mean, funnily enough, I was there right next to where Tom Brady was. And I, I was just approximating in my head what would be being, you know, a man who knows a thing or two about sporting greatness or pushing yourself to the limit or etc etc quite annoyingly Dave people were tweeting me saying that Sky did indeed give him the man who knows a thing or two treatment but they were lying they were talking about it in abstract terms I was very annoyed because mm. I couldn't wait to get hold of the clip but they didn't say it they didn't say it but we won't stop there because this was Arlo White on the US coverage of the game well talking about all time greats Mr Tom Brady who knows a thing or two about winning silverware seven times Super Bowl champion was that a certain and a mister? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> a certain, a Mr. certain Tom Mr. Brady. Tom Brady who knows a thing or two. It's like it's like being introduced as the right honourable somebody. That's it. That, the full yeah. whack. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Well done, Arlo White. All his degrees afterwards. That was uh, <laughs> that was incredible. But I mean, you know, we're enjoying it, and uh, you know, we're bathing in the glory of it all, Dave. But should you a certain Mister and know a thing or two, somebody? Why not? Why not indeed? Tom Go Brady. Whole hog. Exactly. Tom bloody Brady. <laughs> okay, so we had Sky giving it a fairly cautious but necessary treatment. Arlo White over in the US giving it full guns on the introduction. Let's hear what Match of the Day had to say. Tom Brady is here today. Great NFL seven-time Super Bowl winner. The Americans would probably describe him as the winningest world champion of all time. Withering, Charlie. <laughs> bit snidey good possibly I, good i like that that's um bring something a little bit different to the party a little bit of transatlantic banter bit of a yeah rogue move as well because you, you'd think match of the day would be the safest option mm. of safest place of all of them for straight down the line no messing about but very yeah yeah very nice from steve wilson yeah steve wilson not a fan of the word winningest and quite rightly so i'm sure we and the world this. champion as well <laughs> that was the real icing <laughs> yeah. on the cake um yeah but yeah the the most frequent blow landed on US sport, I think, is uh, those two. Right, uh, of course, the two legends just happened to bump into each other after the game, Charlie, uh, with the cameras present. Astonishing. Don't know what Brady... How does Brady, how does Brady even get on the pitch? Like, how, Where does the permission come from? Perhaps a, a debate for another day. But of course, they had a little chat. And uh, your mind instantly wonders, what the hell do these two people talk about? Um, let's find out very briefly. Great game. Good playing. Great game is fine. Good playing. No one tells Steve Wilson that. He will, <laughs> that is not acceptable footballing platitude, is it? Good playing. I feel like good playing should be an absolutely fine thing to say to someone who's just completed a game of football, Dave. He had so much to go at, though. Could have been like, oh, yeah, what a strike for the first goal. Great hat-trick, man. You're blowing Whoa. out your arse at the end there, weren't you, Cristiano? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 42. Fucking hell, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um... 
No, absolutely fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, you would expect this kind of sterile chat between two legends, wouldn't you? Would the, Charlie, goat meets goat. Exactly. The shame of that is that we can hear, so that you can't say something like to be a fly on the wall on that conversation. The problem yeah. is we've heard yeah. it, and it's uh, you're not that envious of the fly. And of course, that was that was a five second clip. I don't know how long the, the the meeting of the two minds went on for, but I mean, where else where else are they going after that? Could they that? start like booting the ball, the two of them, and like getting some sort of competition and see who's who's better? I mean, because they're both such fierce competitors. And as if by magic, an NFL ball appears. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, skin is already crawling live but on air. I, I think I think Brady. I think I have seen a longer clip, and I think yeah, there's a little bit of small talk between the two of them. And then I think Brady like goes and literally like just off screen, the whole squad are lining up to take selfies with Brady and everything, and he's got to go through all of them. They're all there. Like well, I mean, it's 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 almost like a royal visit. Mm. Actually, that that's a very interesting one because it seems to me that. U.S. sportsmen, Charlie, are one of the very few types of people that really tend to make Premier League players awestruck. And you can see it in the photo that Brady has with his kids and about, I'd say, about eight or ten United players. And they all look like they all look like they're just fans. It's like genuinely happy Mm. looks on their faces. Not we're just, you know, we're obliged to do this because the club have asked us to. They look genuinely like stunned to be in his presence. I find it. Well, for them as well, if you think that they're often when they are introduced to dignitaries, they're not really going to care. I mean, yeah. you know, meeting Prince William at the FA Cup final, whatever it is. Yeah, some that might have some meaning, but a lot are going to be like, you're right? How's... <laughs> They've met him before, they sort of had a little bit of banter. Some, some will barely know who he is, I would have thought. Whereas this is like, it will be an idol to a lot of them. I mean, that's kind of how I felt about Tom Brady. I have to say, to outing myself as someone who's not into the NFL and I feel about the NFL Adam how I think you feel about wrestling and those the, the sort of <laughs> topics you hate it's irrational I know NFL I'm sure is a great sport and people are entitled to love it I having never watched it and because I'm not a part of it find it really quite irritating did he just ooze elite level sport then did he something about him I mean he does he clearly Big he guy. clearly has an aura but doesn't really look like an elite level sportsman though does he? it's like the get up that he was wearing on Saturday was like more of, it was a pretty sort of pair of standard pair of trousers and like a sort of a fairly kind of middle-aged Marks and Spencer's black coat. That's a powerhouse move though. It's like uh, those really wealthy people who dress down. He doesn't, he doesn't need yeah. to. Yeah. Like Mino Raiola turning up in a tracksuit. Exactly. He did it like sort of city trainee out for a, out for his lunch break, sort of grabbing a sandwich, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. It was, yeah. It, was the, it was the short kind of coat that really exactly. sealed off the look. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I think, you know, how long do we think it will be until the next time Manchester United have a spectacular uh, failure live on Sky with Roy Keane? He'll be saving this Ooh, one. Oh, yes. Keeping Tom Brady in the Great back shout, pocket, won't yeah. he? Oh, what yeah. frequency are we talking here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Selfies <laughs> with Tom Brady! <laughs> Who's there? What's he doing on the pitch? Definite collateral. Get him off. Start your job. <laughs> they brought Dan Marino over in the 90s. I wasn't interested. <laughs> Dan Marino. <laughs> oh, right. Well, that's enough NFL chat for today. Next up, Chris Shelley. Um, says Robin Cowan, recently a guest on Football Clichés, of course, commentating on Southampton versus Watford. 
stated that the Watford fans were enjoying their afternoon on the South Coast. Is there any other part of the UK you're allowed to enjoy than the South Coast? And does it always have to be in the afternoon? Um, (laughs) I mean, no qualms with this, Dave, because this seems to be the secret code of geographical UK football. But I think we need to nail this. Let's, Let's try and do the notable footballing UK regions in order of frequency of reference during TV commentary. South Coast is right up there. Mm. We have an, we have this baffling obsession with the South Coast when it comes mm. to our football teams. Why? Why? Who cares? It's always mentioned with Bournemouth. Always. Mm. Yeah, the day and out the, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't really hear it mentioned with Brighton as much, do you? Uh, I don't think. Maybe not. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. But it doesn't seem they don't seem south as south coasty. Is it because um, their stadium's a little bit sort of out of town? Yeah, maybe. Well? Maybe. Less coastal. But yeah, you're right. It is def- the South Coast is definitely the yeah. one that gets talked about. You mean you never no hear question. you never hear about a trip to the East Coast. <laughs> but I think I, I think the reason is <laughs> you might legitimately do that without the football. Have a day <laughs> yeah, have a true. day at the seaside. Yeah. So it's do you know what I mean? it's slightly relatable. Whereas I think that would sound you know, they're enjoying their day out in the Midlands. You can't mm. imagine many people without football being like, should we should we just have a day out, a little day trip to um, to Wolverhampton or something? Whereas yeah. that idea, whether it's rooted in reality or not, that you might on a sunny day, let's go down, let's have a day on the coast, a day on the beach, feels a bit more within the realms of possibility. Now, clearly the travelling faithful is the driving force behind this, Dave. But uh, if, if you think of this from a holistic perspective, clearly the travelling faithful is the driving force behind this, Dave, which is why South Coast is the clear number one. If we take a holistic approach to this, what is the next most frequently mentioned area of the UK in a football sense? I would have to say northeast because you've got the hotbed factor. Yeah. Yeah, and they love their football up here, and it's and it's it's just a very I wouldn't say isolated, but it's a very specific area of the country where a group of clubs are clustered, and it, you know it's if in a yeah. football sense it's it's but there's marked. also not too many like not there's too many clubs in the northwest mm. to sort of mention it really. Yeah. Um, whereas you know northeast you've got Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough. Sometimes people lump Hull into the mm. the you know erroneously lump Hull into the northeast, which is yeah strictly correct but yeah i yeah definitely northeast and it is it is it's talked about as a region a footballing region quite a lot another rival but it's always described as the capital is london there you would i don't think you would say they're enjoying their day out in london but you would say and these newcastle fans are enjoying their day out in the capital as they as there are kind of shots of them jumping up and down winning an away game at a london club so london London as a whole is fine if they're out of town fans coming for for the day out. But if if you want, you can get more specific than that. You could say a, a very bright afternoon in West London. If you, if you if talk about the weather, you have to get very specific with where you are. Yes, it's a lovely yes. day in this corner of the uh, of London. But, but I think if you're talking about fans enjoying their day out, the capital mm. is is the sort yeah. of go to. What parts of London are taking precedence here? North. Then west, then southeast. What above east? Then east. Um, no, I would Maybe say southwest. I think southwest with Chelsea and Fulham is. I think just west. say west. Yeah, I think for Chelsea, you just say West London. Yeah, no, I think you would. Yes, that's too London. Don't worry about the post yeah. London centric, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a bit SW nineteen. Um, yeah. yeah, southeast, like like Palace. They sort of uh, Croydon, southeast London. Yeah. Because you, you, the thing is, I mean, there might not be as many clubs there, Charlie, for the southeast. But Palace tends to just 
so inextricably mm. linked with South East London that they mention it all the time, which I think might push it above East, but I'm not sure. Maybe now West Ham have left up yeah. the park. They don't feel as... I think that's London. right. So, I don't think people yeah. associate Stratford so much, you know, whereas the East End, you might have got the East End back at Upton Park during the <laughs> right. day out in the East End. Yeah, you don't get Wembley as North West London so you much. Wouldn't get, you wouldn't get Wembley even really as North London. Not even in a weather context, no. Oh. Blustery day here in North West London, nah, just say Wembley. It's kind of its own thing, isn't it? It sort of transcends geography. Quite right. Yeah, yeah, quite rightly so. A real blow to the Wilsdon Greens and Kilburn <laughs> as well, but there you go. Next up, C. Morgan writes in Charlie and says, I heard Jamie Carragher going on about how hard Thursday to Sunday is. Why? Why is it any harder than Wednesday to Saturday? Pundits constantly going on about how hard Thursday to Sunday is. Is there a really boring technical Well, I've thought this? about this a lot, actually, and I guess part of the reason is... If you're in that Thursday-Sunday routine, that's every time Thursday to Sunday. Whereas you're not in a Wednesday to Saturday routine. You're in a Tuesday or Wednesday, and often your games will also be on the Sunday. So you're not so set on this constant three-day turnaround. I think in and of, in and of itself, yes, they're much the same. But also, there is something else to consider. Saturday, and this is only slight, but Saturday generally, you're going to be playing at three or later off the back of... I know you could play 12.30, but it's less likely, whereas you'll be playing at two, most likely, off the back of a, uh, of a Sunday night, of a Thursday night. But yeah, I think, I think that's why it's not quite as bad, because it's not as constant and unrelenting. Reasonable. And not always, but definitely sometimes, and Charlie, you know, you'll, you'll know this, I'm sure, from, Better from than many anyone. away trips of Spurs. The Thursday night competitions do tend to have more Eastern European trips or trips that are further away than you your big, yes. your big sort of central Western European teams in the Champions League. Yes, that is true. What that can mean is an earlier kickoff time, but that doesn't offset the uh, the yeah the it's the gruelingness, the gruelling travel involved in on a rust bucket in, plane, no doubt. Exactly, when you're going to Kazakhstan, as you know, yeah. barely ever happened. But um, I have to say that um, this initial query from C. Morgan Dave devolved into something quite else. Someone else was pointing out that they're getting sick of pundits talking about three games in a yes. week. Yes, if, if a team played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, it's not three games I, in a week. I'm two. fully on it's board two. with this. It's been a bugbear of mine Same. for a while. They're, they're play, you know, it's never easy playing three games a week. They're not playing three <laughs> games. It's like creative accounting, isn't it, Dave, basically? I mean, you could say three games in seven days. Yeah, I guess actually... That's, that's better. It's a better way of putting it. Well, because that is that is completely Literally correct. correct. Yeah. yeah. And you're, yeah. in terms of the, the, the load on your body. But like mm. three games in a week sort of makes it... It makes it sound like they're playing Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. I guess... Or Monday, yeah. Tuesday, Friday. If you're someone who thinks sun, weeks start on a Sunday, which I'm absolutely not. It's <laughs> oh, not even that kind of words. But <laughs> Arsenal say this week are playing Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. I guess that is... Um, Playing three in a week, but yes, ge- yeah. generally it's yeah. it's just not. It's, well, it isn't though, is it? But, uh, no, um, look, not the not the biggest bugbear of all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. 
Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Back to Elland Road then on Sunday uh, for some fantastic in-game audio. Let's let's hear it first of all from the Sky Sports commentary perspective. Ian Crocker on the mic. This is uh, Joe Gilhart scoring Leeds' winner right at the death against Norwich. Is there more to come in this contest? Helped on by Gilhart. And Rafinha is in! This is a big moment! Very much a kindred spirit of, of Gary Weaver is he in <laughs> Charlie, but uh, but overall a, a lovely listen that or, or you know just about the right amount of of dramatics there, isn't there? Yeah, set up beautifully with the big moment, huge moment. However, he he leads us in, really signposting it, and it works. Then the nod two marching on together, which I guess technically they do that whether they're winning or losing, but you can see you can see his point. Um, where he's yeah. coming from so it kind mm. of captures the uh, the place and the locale where he is so yeah lovely definitely and you you know obviously we only saw the clip of that goal but obviously Norwich had scored literally a minute before so I mm. think he he summed up the atmosphere very well and and I th- I think this is a huge moment this is a big moment is a is a great setup because that if if they miss the chance then it still works mm. Emphasising how big a miss it would have been. Yeah. Um, so it was really right. good. Yeah. Big fan of that. Hot on the heels of uh, of the Norwich City fans singing "You're Not Singing Anymore," which of course was uh, tempting fate, but you know you have to forgive them. Um, but let, let's hear it um, from another perspective. This is without the commentary. This this was audio was captured from the stands, and it captures one of the most vivid, Dave clear brilliant examples of a crowd shouting "Go on!" and it happens twice, and it's great. Two lovely go-ons there. Let's hear it again. One. Two. The first one is so loud. It's it's actually quite impressive, really, that a spontaneous thing with... 40,000 people or however many people in Ellen Road it's just so perfectly timed you couldn't get them to do that all in the same time if you were trying to direct them <laughs> from the pitch Dave's bang on here Charlie because it wasn't something that was queued up it was an instinctive reaction to something unfolding rather than happening Rafinha was through on goal essentially momentarily before he, t- he touched it a little bit wider so the chance was kind presented but it wasn't an instant trigger and it was about as good as if someone had like like a manager had come over and punched the air in front of them in, in celebration. That was how how unified that sound brilliantly was. Um, it was such a good go on. And but but it's just like the most instinctive two words in football. I think it's so good. It's such a specific moment as you know. It's that sudden realization that hold on, 
he could actually he could shoot here. We could score something like this is this is opened up, and obviously then in that instance he because he doesn't shoot and then you get you get the second bite at it. I mean I thought that this whole game had so many such staples. There's such a specific you're in a massive game at this point in the season. The the feeling of missing a big chance when you're one 0 up, where forty thousand people are collectively saying. That's it. See, I told you we can't keep missing chances. We're, <laughs> we're gonna concede now. We oh, we can't keep hitting the bar. This is it. like it's so. These feelings are so writ large. Let's round things off with a uh, uh, another piece of visceral Premier League crowd noise. This was the full time whistle at Goodison Park. <laughs> Obvious things to, um, to to soak in here, Charlie. But I think my favourite bit was, and this happens with so many football chants because of the way sound travels across masses of people, I guess. But when someone isn't sure how and when to join in a chant, so they sort of sort of spread the words over, and then finally <laughs> they sort of get up to speed. Yeah. It's not quite. Uh, yeah, they're doing playing it to a different rhythm. I mean, I always feel an anxiety. Yeah, I think we spoke about this with Josh Danzel. There's there's always that anxiety as well where it stops you've done it once and you're like are we carrying on here i don't i really really don't want to be the only person doing it and it's like getting on an escalator you've like you've got to time things right oh it's otherwise you can go arse over it's, t- it's not easy yeah i mean there, there, yeah, there definitely is that thing of having to sync up two groups that really aren't in time it was nice to hear the, the chant kind of just sort of come out of nowhere to really kind of define the moment day but otherwise properly toxic like a properly just toxic mass of sound without anything actually popping out as discernible. Really great. Yeah, loads of boos, like a smattering of just shouters. You can quite hear what they're Screaming. saying, but ex- expletive filled yeah. uh, rants. Yeah, and but also amidst all of the toxicity, there were a few staunch, hardy souls who just still applauding. <laughs> you know, there's just still a few clappers. Still a few clappers. Just, just come what may, I will always clap my team off. <laughs> mm. Well, they've you know they've made the effort to walk over a little bit towards the home fans. So yeah, you've got to applaud them. But yeah, things go from bad to worse at Goodison Park. Now it's time for Keys and Grey Corner. <laughs> This is it indeed. Uh, let's 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 continue down the Everton theme first, Charlie. This this is Keys and Grey before kickoff at Goodison Park discussing Everton's plight. Times, if you're an Evertonian, isn't but, it? Uh, by the way, there are anxious times for me. I, I spoke to Peter Reid this morning. Mm. He's off to the game. He's on his way. Really concerned about what he's about to see. That worries me. When Reid is concerned, I am. Mm. I am. 
I just love Peter I, Reed, Reedy, the weather vane. I love Keezer's. Mm. I was, I was thinking. Could be talking about anything. Yeah. Could be talking about absolutely Well, anything. this is the thing. I was thinking with the Doors argument, it would undoubtedly be that Keezy would invoke someone like Reedy to give his argument yeah. credibility. Like now, yeah. a lot of conversations about Doors. Now, I spoke to Reedy earlier and he was unequivocal about this. Reedy. As, as if, Reedy. I mean. I, I get that you know Reedy, you know, has a you know a, a clear link in to the Everton mindset. Sometimes what Keys will do as well is he will say when he tweets, he'll be like, "Spoke to Andy about this earlier, and I'm very clear that Laurent Blanc will be the next United manager, whatever it is." It, it's just incredible, and the people who put this out, who tweeted this out, assuming that you know they are similar of mind to us when it comes to Keys and Gray which I'm increasingly thinking they've got the ear for yeah it, I mean they mu- they're, yeah. it must be the equivalent of a striker's eyes lighting up when you hear Reedy <laughs> being invoked in this way I mean, it's just incredible sets off alarm bells straight away but yeah good to know that Reedy is indeed the barometer for everything going on in the world next up uh, Dave this is Keys and Gray segueing effortlessly from geopolitical football issues to what I can only describe as shoot magazine content circa 1996 that that line has been blurred too often down the years as well 2018 World Cup we were all very happy to to turn up in Russia and allow Putin to sit in in the posh seats and and take the money for the Champions League sponsorship and and, and new UEFA competitions going forward and now all of a sudden well Mm -hmm. maybe we shouldn't have done that Um, anyway beyond my pay grade beyond my above my pay grade what's the top kit of all time (laughs) (laughs) Dave's gone. Absolutely gone. Oh, my God. Even e- I'm sorry. Even by their standards. And we've seen some didn't see it coming, great did segues. Some non sequiturs from Keys in his blog <laughs> on the podcast. That is right up there. The top kit. The top kit of all time. What do you reckon? What do you reckon Andy Gray went for, Charlie? It's got to be some sort of 70s. Scotland club shirt. Coventry's brown kit or something like that. It's not going to be something recent, is it? No, I reckon it'll go for something simple like... Um, Everton, 1985 you, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Check with Reedy. Yeah. <laughs> Check with Reedy. Yeah, next up, Charlie, this is Keys and Gray discussing uh, the relative merits of Cristiano Ronaldo's goal-scoring record. But uh, Keys, he's not quite happy about it. It is an extraordinary achievement, 806 goals, whichever way you look at it. But there is some dispute as to whether it's a record. It's certainly not if you look at the Guinness Book of Records. Uh It's 450 short of 1,281. I'm guessing Pele. Which is claimed by Pele. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I'm right, and please please correct me someone if I'm not, but I think what FIFA don't do is recognise the friendly games attributed to Pele. And it's in his total. That is correct, but he disputes what is or Our what friendly. was and what they say might have correct. been. Correct. So FIFA, I don't think we'll ever probably get an answer no. to this. But it seems a lot that FIFA have taken over 400 goals. 450. Off Pelly that he lot. scored in friendlies. Wow. <laughs> it doesn't seem no, it doesn't possible, stack up. does it? It doesn't, doesn't stack, stack up. up. 450 goals in friendlies, that is... That's undoable. But I mean, they were a bit sounds, like the, the you know, uh, that famous <clears throat> basket, Harlem Globetrotters. They were a bit like Globetrotter Santos, weren't they? They travelled around the world playing a lot of games. Well, not necessarily. I don't think we saw a lot of him, did we, outside of his, his league yeah. career? And uh, 
Uh, it's very difficult to substantiate because we didn't have the coverage that we've got today. I but I, I, Pele, Pele for me. me. <laughs> Sorry, but as I say, it's an extraordinary number of goals yeah. in the modern games. Yeah, probably worth one and a half. So essentially, we start off. We start off Charlie with Keys getting very, very um, picky about which statistical method you're choosing, and then just suddenly decides to go all qualitative at the end and go, "Oh, Pele for me." Power says they're worth one and a half. Yeah, I, I, I'm always confused. <laughs> about, I'm always confused about that cliche as well as to whether goals now are worth more or worth less. I kind of I feel you could, and certainly Keezy could quite happily make that argument either way. I was thinking, how, how be in would Pele have been when he was in slightly better health? I can imagine if Pele had been a bit younger when Keys and Gray had moved over. Mm. I, I, only be for World I, Cup duty though. Wouldn't yeah, it? it's just he's a little bit too corporate, isn't he? What does like, he know it, about the Champions League? If if Maradona had had good grasp of English and was in better health, he's more. I think he's more. No, be in I think Pelé. Pelé, I think I, he'd be on ITV. I think the corporateness makes Pele more suited I, in that FIFA UEFA exec sort of role. I think Maradona would be yeah. too much of a wild card. I think Pele would have been gettable. You know, he'd have been over in Qatar doing some business or other, you know, for the Brazil so Federation. And <laughs> We're now doing Pele v Maradona. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it's come to. It's the last thing we wanted. <laughs> Absolute last thing we wanted. But here's the last thing we've got for you, everybody, in Keys and Grey Corner this week. Someone called Red Tim has stumbled across uh, the 1990 celebrity cookbook Food for Thought, which contains contributions of their favourite recipes from the likes of Russ Abbott, Cheryl Baker, Krista Berg, Sue Cook, Jim Davidson, Judy Dench, Howard Kendall, Neil Kinnock, Gary Lineker, Maureen Lippman, Linda Lusardi, Annika Rice, Cliff Richard, Margaret Thatcher, Terry Wogan. I've, um, I've got, also on the also on the list. I've got the list in front of me. It just is listed British gas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's what that's that's a potted sort of selection of the uh, contributors. And then after that, it says the editor would also like to thank President Bush, and President Gorbachev, Brian Robson. Brian, why is why is Brian Robson in the thank yous but not in the recipes? What did he do? Put it together. <laughs> anyway, um, right, right, smack bang, quite literally in the middle of all of these is one Richard Keys. Here is his selected recipe from 1990 celebrity cookbook, Food for Thought. He selected Charlie steak au poivre. Big, big old picture, Richard Keys there, and the quote underneath his picture is. I enjoy hot, spicy food, hence this is one of my favourites. And, uh, of course, they are obliged, Charlie, to give the method for their recipe. This is, uh, this is Richard Key's recipe for steak au poivre. Spread a thick layer of Dijon mustard on both sides of the steak. Crush the peppercorns and garlic and sprinkle on both sides of the steak. Melt the butter in a thick bottom frying pan until hot and sizzle the steak for two to three minutes on each side, yep. depending on the thickness of steak and how well you like them cooked. Okay. Now, Andy, does that sound like the sort of rest? No. <laughs> no. When serving, turn the steak out onto warmed plates and pour the pan juices over it. If you don't like your food too spicy, don't use too many peppercorns. That's it. Fried steak on a plate. <laughs> I 
cooked it for Reedy the other day. He loved it. Reedy said it was like being in a French restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you hear so much, the French can cook better than the English. I, well, try telling Reedy that after the steak au poivre he had round at mine. I cooked it. It wasn't difficult. It wasn't difficult. He said, and if I could do it. Practically raw, the steak that they have in France. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <sighs> anyway, there it is. So if you ever, if you ever, Richard Keyes is ever coming around to yours for dinner, steak au poivre. This is the best bit of meat football crossover content we've had since the Kevin Keegan yeah. meat awards. It's, actually, is Kevin Keegan in the book? Uh, 1990s, probably a bit of a fallow time for the relevance of Kevin Keegan. If that yeah. book had been made five or so years earlier, or uh, later, or ten yeah. earlier, he'd have not in it. He'd have been a staple. No. Doesn't Les, make the cut. Les Dennis Ken Dodd, but no Keegan. Oh, it's in, it's in alphabetical order, so yeah, he's not there. He's not there. He would have been there right next to Kinnock. Keezy, so Keezy's yeah. next to Neil Kinnock, the leader of the opposition. Howard Kendall, Richard Keyes, wow. Neil Kinnock. Wow, I mean that is some exalted company. Uh, but yeah, that was the height of TVAM fame, of course. We know around the time of interviewing Mariah Carey. Indeed. Oh. The boys, from <laughs> and the boys from Wet Wet. As the boys from Ready, Ready Steady Cook said. <laughs> right, that's enough. That's enough of everything this, this week. Thank you very much, David Walker. Thank you. Thanks to you, Charlie Eccleshire. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening. Back on Thursday. See you later. The Athletic. <laughs>